0: You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Good morning. Our Bible reading this morning is from Luke chapter 19 and verses 1 to 10. Luke 19 verse 1. He looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled, he has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks be to God. Uh, Today's passage is... Probably one of the more well-known encounters from the list in our nine-week series. Zacchaeus is a bit of a household name in Christian homes and Christian upbringings. It's one of those memorable Sunday school stories that stick with those who hear it. Yeah. I mean, who could forget such banger, such a banger song as Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. He climbed up on a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. Don't Put Me on the Worship Team. But that song is absolute fire. And I, I think one of the main reasons uh, his story is often remembered by Christians is because of that uh, descriptive tidbit that he was a, a wee little man, a man who was small in stature, a man I obviously very much relate to. Many of you may not know this, but there was a group chat with a few, uh, a few from the logistics team who would Photoshop ways in which I could be much, I could be made taller to be visible on the stage at Hoyts. Uh, one including Pastor Luke piggybacking me while I preach. Actually, here's the photo that they actually had. If you can see it, so obviously, if you know me, you can't see me on the stage. So this was one of the options from the logistics team. Ha, 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 look at wee little koi on a sycamore luke, right? But really, this encounter, it's, it's actually a really great encounter because while it can be easily remembered for its colourful, unique picture of Zacchaeus, at its core, it's, a, it's an amazing story of Jesus and the effect that he had on people. And As we dig into this passage, we see four things. Four things stand out, I think. Uh, Jesus attracts the unlikeliest people. Uh, Jesus accepts the worst of people. Jesus transforms the lives of people and Jesus asks the same of his people. So first, let's think about how he attracts the unlikeliest people in verse, uh, 19. He entered Jericho and was passing through and behold, uh, verse one, sorry, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich and he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. See, while his height may often be remembered of Zacchaeus, what is actually most significant about him was his status. See, during that time, tax collectors collected uh, the taxes of the Jewish public for the Romans who ruled ruled over them. So tax collectors were often Jews who were working with the Romans, uh, but it was also common knowledge that tax collectors cheated the people they collected from, collecting more than they should and keeping the extra for themselves. So with Jericho being one of the greatest taxation centres in Palestine and and Zacchaeus being the chief tax collector You could imagine someone of his status would have been filthy rich. See, as the chief, a title not seen anywhere else in scripture, Zacchaeus was the head of the taxation department there in this huge city. He would be the one who employs others in the actual collecting of the taxes. Uh, Theologian William Barclay described him as a man who had reached the top of his profession. But while extremely rich, socially, Zacchaeus would have been extremely hated. I mean, you can see why. He was collecting money off his own people and giving it to their Roman oppressors. And as the chief of the entire department, there would be no question that he was dodgy, keeping large sums of money for himself. Everyone would have viewed him with great disdain. His reputation was one of a covetous, evil man who extorted people as a living. He's the chief extorter, which is what makes the whole encounter so intriguing, because he was a man loathed for his wrong, wronging of others, a powerful, rich, selfish man in a profession that fed on the vulnerable and lifted the prideful. And yet, when he saw and heard the, the hubbub of this Jesus who was in town, he wanted to get to him. Like, why would such a man want to reach this carpenter from Nazareth? What could possibly draw the chief tax collector to this meek, humble, lowly teacher So over the past two months, we've read of countless encounters with Jesus, and we've seen a vast array of characters, the forgotten leper, the grieving widow, the sinful woman, the possessed man, the rich ruler. And I think the only thing that they all have in common is that they're all the unlikeliest of people to encounter Jesus. What do we have? Outcasts, low lives, sinners, the most pious the most hated. Jesus attracted the unlikeliest of people. We often think of Jesus going out to, out to all kinds of folks, which is true. But what's also evident in the Gospels is how Jesus also drew people in. And Zacchaeus was a great example of that. See, imagine a man of his status who would normally be in his office, locked away from the plebs of society. Yet he, he was mixed in with this raucous mob, you know, drawn to this Jesus He would have been purposefully pushed aside by the crowd who didn't want to be, who didn't want him to be there, you know, likely mocking him, blocking him from view because he was short so he couldn't see. Yet Zacchaeus was so intrigued to get a glimpse of Jesus that he would sprint ahead, pull up his robe and climb a sycamore tree, which we have to imagine in those days would have been incredibly embarrassing for any person to do, let alone the chief tax collector. This is the effect Jesus had on people. See, while we don't know what exactly was going through Zacchaeus' mind, his curiosity was enough to draw him to want a mere glimpse of Christ. But what he probably didn't expect was a full encounter with this Jesus. And there's something significant in this. Because while most would assess, and fairly so, that Zacchaeus would be the least likely of people to want to see Jesus I mean, he was filthy rich in the highest position in his profession. Yeah, I think there must have been something deeper going inside Zacchaeus. I think even with all the riches and wealthy lifestyle he lived, there must have been a a sort of emptiness that it was all unsatisfying. See, normally somebody in his position wouldn't even be seen out there with the locals. So there was something about the fact that he wanted to see who Jesus was, actively seeking to see him. But we also remember that he was a a despised man, hated by the masses. It was likely Zacchaeus was also miserable. While he had money and materials, he was probably lonely and desolate as everyone treated him with contempt. So it makes sense that he'd have displeasure in his life. See, I remember reading a story about a man named Philip Ng who once topped the Forbes billionaire list in Singapore as a CEO of a large real estate organisation. But now he's more often seen at Christian conferences sharing his testimony. He often shares how wealth couldn't give him the answer he was searching for. He said about his real estate industry, this real estate isn't even freehold, it's leasehold. And even freehold is not good enough because what we strive for is eternity. Freehold isn't as good as eternity, he says. He said he felt like King Solomon, now that he reflects on it, he, he lamented the meaningless of it all in Ecclesiastes, like, like we see in Ecclesiastes 1. Then one day, after a golfing buddy invited him to a a church outreach event, he found his meaning in life, and it was in Jesus. Now he goes around sharing with people the gospel. He says, "He says this coming to faith and coming to Jesus Christ doesn't mean that our situations change. See, the market is still the same. The government is still going to impose buyer's stamp duty. The problem of the marketplaces, uh, the problems of the marketplace, is not going to go away. But what changes is the peace and joy found deeply in Jesus Christ. That's what I have today through knowing God." See, the amazing thing is that stories like 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 these uh, aren't all too uncommon, are they? You know, we've seen it countless times in the gospel, seen in our encounter series, Jesus attracting the unlikeliest of people. And we still see it today. I love leading the the digital alpha course during the pandemic last year and hearing of uh, people's backgrounds and stories and what brought them to alpha in the first place. It was a group of people you could never imagine sitting together in the same room before that. Some came out of curiosity. Some because a friend invited them. But there was a fair few who went in deep discussions, revealed something that they all had in common. That they were there because they felt that they were lacking a fulfillment in their life. What is it about Jesus that even the unlikeliest of folks, the lowliest outcast to the most well-off member, the most well-off members of society could draw them to risk shame, embarrassment, and even punishment to draw to him? I think it's because at some point they've felt a lack of fulfillment in their lives. Why could a leper to a widow, to the top billionaire in Singapore, to the chief tax collector, all similarly desire an encounter with the same Jesus? They've all desired some sort of fulfillment, and Jesus offers it to them. See, Jesus said in his ministry, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We think of somebody like Zacchaeus, who had a pretty good lifestyle, yet something about his life was lacking. Perhaps he had heard of Jesus through his employed tax collectors. Maybe word even passed in his circles from the former tax collector Matthew, who is now a disciple of Jesus. Whatever the case, his curiosity, intrigue, and perhaps his hope in Jesus was enough for him to risk ridicule, casting aside his pride and reputation as he climbs a tree to see this Jesus. Verse 5, And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and, come, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. This says a lot about Jesus, doesn't it? Seeing little old Zacchaeus all the way up in the tree, Jesus' first words to him are his name. Zacchaeus! Jesus cries out, hinting of uh, Jesus's divine nature that he already knew who Zacchaeus was. And what Jesus says next are quite profound. Hurry up and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Notice that Jesus didn't ask, can I stay, or or say, I would like to stay. But his words were, I must stay. See, to Jesus, he counted this encounter with Zacchaeus as necessary which is a great snapshot of what Jesus' ministry has been all about. See, theologian Daryl Bach says, Jesus' ministry has been about leading to God whom, whom others have given up on, to call those who, like the tax collector Levi, need to repent. His mission is to reclaim the prodigals and justify the humble. And that was who Zacchaeus was, one who people had given up on, a prodigal member of Jewish society, too dodgy and corrupt to be loved, too bad and sinful to be saved. So it's no wonder Zacchaeus received Jesus joyfully. Whatever lack of fulfilment Zacchaeus had been missing, whatever hope he had in seeing Jesus at that moment in his encounter with the living Christ, all that he'd lacked and all that he'd hoped for was answered. See, what started out a story of Zacchaeus curious to seek Jesus actually turned out to be Jesus seeking Zacchaeus all along. Theologian Leon Morris says, Jesus saw his visit to Zacchaeus as part of his divine mission. See, both Zacchaeus seeking of Jesus and Jesus' seeking of Zacchaeus were sovereign works of God. It was no fluke that this encounter happened. What Christ sought after, but Christ sought after Zacchaeus, encountering him at the tree and inviting himself to not just his house, but into his life and heart. See, for the crowds watching, this would have been quite scandalous. In fact, we can see their reactions in verse 7. And when they saw it, they all grumbled, he has gone into be with the guest of a man who is a sinner. To the crowd, it made no sense that somebody like Jesus would go into a house of such a sinner, Jesus, he's, he's too far gone. Don't go there, Jesus. He's the chief officer of the corruption agency. Jesus, his sins are unforgivable. Don't bother with him. And the thing is, these people sort of have a point. I mean, Zacchaeus really is quite the sinner. Most of the city would have likely been cheated by him if not by him, by the lackeys that he sent around. If you are asked to point out a sinner in Jericho, Zacchaeus would have been a popular answer. But while their complaint might seem justified, it was also quite short-sighted because what the crowd hadn't realized is why Jesus was there in the first place. See, in one of the most well-known lines from Jesus, he would reveal a few verses down at Zacchaeus' house that the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Zacchaeus was indeed a sinner, one of the worst ones. Yet even he wasn't beyond the touch of God. See, while the people of Jericho may have given up on somebody as sinful as him, Jesus went after Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus remained open to God and Jesus did not write him off. See, what we see in this encounter is that Jesus accepts even the worst of people. Jesus didn't ask Zacchaeus if he had done this and that before coming to his house. Jesus didn't ensure Zacchaeus was a pious, holy man in order to encounter him. Jesus sought after a man who would be undoubtedly considered lost, and he was there to find him. I think there are a lot of people who feel exactly this. It might even be you sitting here today, that you would undoubtedly be considered lost, that you've accumulated too many wrongs in your life, that you should be written off on account of your past sins, that you're too far gone and deserve just punishment. In Romans 10, See, what I love about this, this, th- th- those verses is not only what it says, but the context of who wrote it. That, that, those verses I just read were written by the apostle Paul, who once would have been the poster boy of what it means to be lost. Saul, as once was his name, went around persecuting Christians, torturing them, likely even killing them, doing everything he could do in his power to stop the good news of Jesus spreading. Yet one day he had an encounter with Jesus who changed his life completely. Zacchaeus was absolutely a sinner. Saul was undeniably lost, and yet Jesus sought after them and saved them. These were two deeply sinful people, yet not even they were out of reach of the saving grace of Christ. Theologian J.C. Ryle says, The door of hope which the gospel reveals to sinners is open very wide. Let us leave it open as we find it. Let us not attempt in narrow-minded ignorance to shut it. We should never be afraid to maintain that Christ is able to, to save completely and that the vilest sinners may be freely forgiven if they will only come to him. So even if you think you belong to the worst of sinners, there is good news. Jesus came for you and he wants to stay at your house. Now, for a lot of us, we most likely don't think that way of ourselves. If anything, for many of us, we're more tempted to think that of others. Like, oh, (laughs) he's definitely one of the worst sinners I know. Or, "Oh, oh, yeah, 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 she sins way more than I do. I think the reality for many of us is we find it easier to relate to the crowd looking on than relate to Zacchaeus. We find it easier to grumble about other sinners we clearly see. But what the crowd didn't know at the time, but would soon find out was that Jesus didn't come to save the Zacchae, Jesus didn't just come to save the Zacchaeuses of the world. He also came to save them. Romans three says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. See, while it's easy for the crowd, for us to point out those who are clearly lost, Because of sin, all are lost and need to be saved. From the worst of the worst wrongdoer, to the holiest of the holy worshipper, to the middle of the pack, good person, sin has counted us lost. Enemies to a perfect and holy God, bad, evil, corrupt, cheating sinners we are all not too different from Zacchaeus. We deserve to be told, Jesus, they're too far gone. Don't go there. They're the chief officers of sinful living. Their sins are unforgivable, Jesus. Don't bother with them. And yet by the grace of our loving God, he sent his son down to our home, attracting the unlikeliest of people, us, seeking all even the worst who would welcome him and saving them by dying for their sins romans 5 but god shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners christ died for us this is the good news of jesus In Jesus, God reaches out to accept the sinner who discovers he or she can turn to God. We have a saviour who seeks after us, calls us by our first name because he knows us and he loves us, forgives, saves us, not by our own doing, but all out of his gracious work. Have faith that God's grace is greater than your worst sin. Zacchaeus' life was flipped upside down that day. Merely expecting to get a glimpse of Jesus, instead he would get a full encounter and more. He would get a savior. J.C. Ryle says that very night he went to bed a Christian. See, and even though everybody saw that Jesus accepted even the worst of people, what was remarkable was what happened next. Verse eight. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, "Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold." If the crowd had any doubts over Zacchaeus' newfound faith in Jesus, his actions would have quickly shut this down. It says that Zacchaeus would give half his wealth to the poor and would restore fourfold anyone he had cheated. See, in those days, it was only uh, it was only a deliberate robbery. or or a violent act of destruction that would require a fourfold restitution. So technically for Zacchaeus, the just thing to do according to the law at the time would be to pay back double the value to those he cheated. Actually, maybe even less because in the law, because if somebody confessed to doing the wrong thing, they would only need to give back the value of what was stolen plus a fifth. But Zacchaeus offers to do so fourfold. He goes far beyond what was legally necessary. Now, why would he do such a thing? Just last week, Pastor Luke took us through the passage of the rich young ruler in chapter 18. And in his encounter with Jesus, the ruler was challenged on whether he could give up all his wealth to the poor and follow Jesus. A challenge which saddened the ruler because he simply couldn't do it. He couldn't put Jesus over his money. But with Zacchaeus, it was different. He was a man who responded by faith in Jesus, and Jesus truly became his Lord. No longer a servant of money, he was now a servant of Christ. William Barclay says, Zacchaeus was determined to do far more deeds than the law demanded. He showed by his deeds that he was a changed man. So what we clearly see here is that Jesus transforms the lives of people. For a man of Zacchaeus' status, rich, powerful, prideful, corrupt, to give it all up, paying back who he had wronged, generously giving a ton of his wealth to the needy, he only did so because he had found something better, a greater treasure. He had found fulfillment in the Saviour who sought him. And saved him. What we're seeing is the camel going through the eye of the needle. A rich man entering the kingdom of God. Jesus said it to the rich ruler. What is impossible with man is possible with God. Here is the greediest chief tax collector transformed into a generous, faithful Christ follower. Jesus had this effect on people. He changes them, transforms their lives. And what Jesus saw of Zacchaeus, he was pleased, saying to him, today salvation has come to this house. Jesus commends him for his restitutive actions, not as a requirement for for Zacchaeus' salvation, but because it indicated that Zacchaeus' heart recognized his wrong and he wanted to fix it. It's not that his generosity was the means of redemption, but it was the evidence of it. Darabok says, if there was any doubt, Zacchaeus meant what he said. His pocketbook spoke volumes. I think what Zacchaeus does here shows a wonderful picture of the gospel and its transformative power in one's life. His life was immediately changed in this encounter with Jesus, who sought him and invited himself into his life. He was made a new man, no longer the man he once was. It's a clear and vivid picture of 2 Corinthians 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Zacchaeus recognized his sin and knew he was forgiven in Jesus. In knowing that forgiveness, he wanted to make right the wrongs he had done to others so that they too could know of the one who transformed his life top to bottom. See, there's a great encouragement and challenge for us in this. To those who know Christ as their Lord, we are a people who have been transformed by a gracious saviour. Jesus has made us new. This means we're no longer servants of money, power, reputation, comfort. We are servants of Christ. See, like Zacchaeus, our lives ought to be ones so evident of our redemption that if anyone had any doubt of our proclamation as Christ followers, our faithful actions would speak volumes. J.C. Ryle says, freely pardoned, raised from death to life, Zacchaeus felt that he could not begin too soon to show whose he was and whom he served. The awesome God has sought us out and saved us. Once slaves to sin, we are now joyously free in Christ. From that day onwards, the people of Jericho knew while Zacchaeus himself was small, his gracious Redeemer is big. See it's after Zacchaeus's words here that Jesus says that he is here to seek and save the lost, and I think these words are quite memorable because they sum up christ's gospel mission it's a It's a declaration to the world of what God has always intended to do through his own Son. But what I love about the verse is that there's also a missional call to Christians because while Jesus said this during his earthly ministry before ascending to heaven. Jesus called his disciples to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. See, as Christians, we are called to continue on Christ's mission of seeking and saving the lost by pointing them to him. See, while Jesus attracted the unlikeliest of people, while he accepted the worst of people, I think Jesus asks the same of his people. That as Christians, we too attract the unlikeliest people to the good news of Christ. That we too accept the worst of peoples and expect them to walk through our doors. I'll always remember the story from my Bible college lecturer who, when he was a pastor, told me of a time when a man he had never seen before came up to him after service and the man just said to him, thank you. And my lecturer said, oh, did you enjoy the sermon? And the man said, oh, no, sorry, I'm thanking you because as soon as I saw the ashtray out the front of the entrance, I knew that this was a place I wanted to be. It turns out that this man had never been to a church before, but he knew he was welcomed with something as small as seeing a cigarette ashtray out the front. See, what this passage has taught me is that nobody is ever so far out of reach from the saving grace of Christ. Even the most wicked of sinners aren't safe from our saviors seeking. No matter who it is in our lives, there is always hope. It might take some awkward, uncomfortable conversations. It might take some long, frustrating days, months, years. It might even take you stepping aside as you pray trustingly. But know that Jesus can attract the unlikeliest, even the worst of people and accepts those who repent and believe in him. And he can do so through the lives of those who have already been transformed by the gospel. Us. So Melbourne West, let's be a church who doesn't isolate from the lost and rejected, but a church who seeks them out with the gospel boldly and joyfully to our nice neighbours, our hardened household, our crooked colleagues, to the best of the bunch, to the worst and the wickedest, Jesus says to them, hurry up and come down and come to me. From the words of Charles Spurgeon, sin is a thing of time, but mercy is from everlasting. Transgression is but of yesterday, but mercy was ever of old. Before you and I sought the Lord, the Lord sought us. Let's pray together. (laughs) Heavenly Father, Lord, how good and kind, loving, and gracious you are that in your son Jesus we see a saviour who drew the unlikeliest people to him. This was a man in his ministry Uh, who said he was the way, the truth, and the life. And he drew people who we could never imagine would be drawn to him. And the amazing thing is in this encounter series, we've seen these unlikely people encounter him and have their lives completely changed. As we see here with Zacchaeus, he was a man who looked like he would never, uh, he would be too far gone to know you, too far gone to be saved. Yet you sought him out, Lord, that in Jesus we saw Christ go up to him, go to his house, invite him to his life. Lord, we thank you that through this passage we can see that we could never be so far gone, that we will be out of reach of your grace and mercy. Lord, we want to pray for those here today that may be feeling that, that may be feeling the weight of their sin, feeling that they've accumulated too much sin in their life. Lord, may your gospel truth be known in their hearts, to know that you, God, your grace is bigger, your forgiveness is bigger, that we can come to your feet at the cross and know that we are forgiven because of who you are and how much you love us. Lord, we want to pray for the Christians here today, for us as a church. May we be a church who reflects this same, uh, this same uh, love and grace in Christ that we attract those that are the most unlikely in our communities, in our society, Lord. That they may see the beauty of the gospel through how we live, through what we proclaim. That they may draw to the beauty of Jesus. That they may see that they too are never too far to know of the only fulfillment in life that they could ever know, and that is in Jesus. So, Lord, use us as a church to uh, to be a church who welcomes everybody. It'd be a church who who loves those who seem the unlikeliest. Lord, may Your Spirit help us in that. Heavenly Father, but we thank you that you are with us as you called us out uh, to, to go and uh, uh, seek the world, Lord. You reminded us it, as you remind your disciples that you are with us always to the end of the days. So we thank you that you're with us in this and we thank you that you're a God who is so gracious that you have called us the most unlikely to you. And we thank you for dying for us and we thank you for being our saviour. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.